uh, I played football for a few years myself and I didn't get to play as much as I would have liked to. I went to private school my whole life, y'all. That's why I'm a little weird, okay? So I, from K-12 to college, private school, all right? And I went to, to uh, Bible college, all that, you know? I think I homeschooled for like a year or something, like half a year, but then I was way too social, couldn't figure it out. I was like, this is weird. So I went back to school. Uh, but, you know, at private school, they don't have sometimes as many opportunities as, as the bigger public schools do. You know, you don't have all the same programs and everything. And so uh, I had a couple of schools that did have football. And I remember my freshman year was probably my favorite year that, that I played. And, and it kind of stunk because I, I was about to, I was going into my sophomore year, actually. And we were out in Tyler, Texas. We had only lived there for for a year, okay? It was not that long. I had grown up in the Austin area my entire life. But we moved out there after eighth grade. And I went to the school all freshman year. And I was like, you know what? I guess I'll try football, you know, the next year. And so I went through spring training, right? Went through all that difficult, you know, stuff. You know how difficult spring training is if you played. Then you go through what? Two a days in the summer. You go through all of that hard work and the, the blood and the sweat and the tears, literally, and all kinds of things that we don't want to talk about from the stage here, right? It was just terrible. It's difficult. Uh, and then right before the season started, we played a couple scrimmages and I was doing really well. Coach was about to move me up to varsity as a sophomore, which I was like real excited about. And then we moved back to Austin. So I can thank my parents for that. Goodness gracious. I went through all the work, didn't get anything out of it. It was very frustrating. But my coach was amazing, and I loved my time that I, that I had playing with those guys uh, going into my sophomore year. His name was Coach Maddox, and I remember during two-a-days, he would always say this thing, and it was the most comforting thing and also the funniest thing at the same time looking back now. Anytime that we would get in trouble, or just in general, you know, like we'd be running around, and somebody would do something dumb, and so we'd have to be running all around the football field. You know, you got your pads on, it's 100 degrees, we're in Texas, you know, and you're running all the way around the field. You ran about, you know, eight times around the field and and coach finally just says all right boys get a wash <laughs> and that was to go get a drink that's what he meant to go get a drink and so he's like 60 years old he's like about five foot seven bald guy you know like the little tiniest dude walking around and but he just like commanded that field you know what I mean like if he said something it was like it was truth it was fact you didn't argue with it so anytime one of us did he would always make us run for a long time but then he would just give us that beautiful relief of getting a wash and so I loved football I actually played eight-man football when I was in eighth grade uh, by the way today you're going to hear some random stories from me in eighth grade I don't know why, but just like this sermon just kind of worked out. All of my eighth grade stories are working out for this one. So you're going to get to know me a little bit better today. But I played eight man football with my other school. And there was one time we went down to Houston and we absolutely got destroyed, okay? Like the team we played against, the guys looked like that they were all on steroids, okay? They had eaten their Wheaties and the steroids that morning, all right? Literally just eaten them, you know what I mean? Like it was just crazy. Like the dudes were brutes, all right? They were massive. Uh, and I remember that there was one time that the biggest dude on the field, I mean, honestly, the guy was just, was huge. And I was in eighth grade, but I was playing up onto like a high school team because, you know, private school is weird. Like you just have eighth graders that can play in high school. It's weird. So uh, I was playing on a high school level and I knew I was like, this guy's got to be a senior. I mean, the guy has like, I could tell his beard is like puffing out of his like face mask. You know what I mean? And uh, so he absolutely clocks me on one point. I, I was playing defense and I came up and he had the ball and it was one of those things where I was trying to tackle him, but then I got tackled myself. And then he just like stepped on my face and said, it just kept going. You know, one of those things basically is what happened. Uh, and so our quarterback, man, he was getting hit real hard that game. And that same dude, when he was playing defense, he absolutely clocked our quarterback one time and he had a concussion. Pretty sure I had a concussion. 
pretty sure the whole team had a concussion by the end of it. We were all on concussion protocol down to third string, which was literally just like, you know, like the water boy, like the super skinny kid in the back. I mean, we only had like 13 people at the private school, you know, so it was a difficult, difficult game to say the least. But I loved football. I loved playing it and I love watching it. It's always been a big part of my life. Uh, I love the Dallas Cowboys. We got some Cowboys fans out in the house today. Anybody? It's, it's difficult. Just a couple. And hey, Richard, I appreciate you, bro. You're staying strong, man. It's hard to be a Dallas Cowboys fan right now. It's very difficult. Um, you know, and I don't know how long they can be America's team much longer. I mean, like, how long can you hold that title with being just terrible for year after year after year? I mean, who would be America's team at this point? I mean, I don't know. America's quarterback is probably Tom Brady. I mean, we, you love to hate him, but he's just incredible. He's the GOAT, you know? Uh, and so they always stink. It's, it's frustrating. But uh, I am excited to watch the Super Bowl this year. It's going to be a great game uh, between Tom Brady, the old man, and then we have Pat Mahomes, uh, the young guy. Come on, I know there's some there's some KC fans in the house today. But I'm real excited for Football Sunday, okay? And I want to tell you a little bit about what it is. You know, you just saw the promo for it. And I had some people that were a little confused on like, okay, what is exactly Football Sunday? Because this one guy on Facebook, he commented, he was like, so is this going to be like live or like over Zoom? Like, like Tony Dungy and all them going to be there? And I was like, no, okay? Like, we've been at church for four months. Y'all think we're about to pay to have like eight NFL people come in here? Get out of town, man. Come on. Anyway, so uh, no, but it is, a, it is a production that this company, Football Sunday, uh, puts together every single year uh, for Super Bowl Sunday, and they make it available to churches. And so the way they do it, is they, uh, they film a few stories and testimonies from NFL people uh, over the course of a few months during the season, and they want to get actual people that played that season, like current NFL people. Uh, and it's hosted by Tony Dungy and Benjamin Watson, who is a former player as well, if you know who that is. And, uh, and what they do is they wait until they figure out who's playing in the Super Bowl, and then they go to those two teams and they actually interview people from those teams that are Christians and get their testimonies over the course of this last year. And so they're actually just finished filming it. I saw Tony Dungy tweeted last night saying putting some finishing touches on Football Sunday. And so we paid for the license in order for you guys to be able to, to watch this production. Uh, so they'll release it to us this week and we'll be able to put it in and have, I think we're going to have the screen come down and everything. It's going to be like watching a big game in, in here. So we'll get to watch that. It's going to be life-changing, I promise. If you have a, uh, a man in your life that loves to watch football, maybe who wouldn't normally come to church, I want to tell you, this is the time to invite him, okay? Invite him because there is power in a testimony. And there's power in a testimony from somebody, uh, maybe like in the NFL, that maybe somebody might not listen to me, a, a man that maybe normally wouldn't go to church, might not want to listen to me, hear my testimony, might not want to listen to you. But man, if Tony Dungy and Carson Wentz and all these other guys, Sam Ocho and, and Brandon Cooks are telling their testimonies about what God doing in their life, man, I believe that there's some power to that and that God can really, really use that and to change somebody's life. So make sure you invite somebody next week to Football Sunday. We'll have some fun games outside, all kinds of good stuff. So let's get into this. Uh, in football and in sports in general and just in life, okay, there are winners and losers. There, it's true. There's winners and 
losers, no matter how you cut it, uh, whether it's in business, whether it's in relationships, whether it is even in your relationship with God, right? I feel like sometimes we feel like we're winning or we're losing in those things. And then we kind of feel like we're going back and forth. Like there's sometimes in your life, you feel like, man, I feel like I'm just losing right now. Everything I do, I'm just not doing things right or I'm making mistakes or I I don't feel good about this. And there's sometimes you kind of are riding a high, right? You're like, man, I feel like I'm, I'm winning right now. And like, life is great, life is incredible. But in life, there are winners and losers. But, but in your walk with God, I don't want you to live in defeat. I don't want you to live in a place where you feel like you are losing, but I want you to know how to win in life. And I want you to know how to win in your relationship with God. So the title today for the message is How to Win. And I was thinking about what to preach about this week. And it's difficult when you have a random week in between two events, right? So I was just telling our team this morning, you know, we had Vision Sunday last week, and then we have Football Sunday coming up this next week. And then you just have the random week in the middle where you can preach about anything that you want. It's almost like there's too many options to preach about. And so I decided, you know what, instead of one week of football, let's talk about two weeks of football. So we're going to have a football message because I want to talk about football. Next week, I'm not going to get to. You're going to hear from all the NFL people. So you'll have to listen to me talk about some football today and some different little eighth grade stories. But it's all about how to win. And the, the, the main passage we have, we have a few today, is 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. I'll give you a second if you want to look it up on your Bible app or in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 25. And it says, do you not know that in a race... All the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Let's pray one more time. Lord Jesus, help me to just deliver this word in a way that would resonate with the hearts and the minds of people that are here today. God, would you speak a word in Jesus' name? Amen. Amen. Hey, you know, we got the Super Bowl coming up. Uh, like I said, we got, we got Tom Brady. Uh, who's, rooting for, who's rooting for the Bucks and Tom Brady? Are you rooting for him? Who is? Nope. Uh, just a couple. You are, really? Uh, just a few people. Who, okay, in the back, who's rooting for Kansas City? Okay, yeah, yeah, all right, all right. That makes sense. I, I don't know. Honestly, like, I'm kind of cool with it either way. Like, if Tom Brady wins, I think that just, I mean, I think it's already pretty solidified. He's been the best quarterback of all time. But if he wins after his first year with the new team and he comes, takes him to the Super Bowl and then wins, I mean, it's just like, you, there's no more arguing. 100%, he is the GOAT, y'all. He is the greatest of all time. Uh, but then also you have Pat Mahomes, which is just like the young guy. You just love to love him. He's just a, he's just a fun guy. He's got a weird voice and weird hair, and it's just awesome. I love the guy. So uh, he's just a good person as well. You know he is. And so uh, it, it's gonna be fun. I think either way, I'm gonna be okay with it. So it's a little bit easier. I don't feel bad if one team loses or wins because it's a great storyline either way. But at the end of the day, one team is going to win. And one team is going to lose. Only one team can win. And how do you win in sports? Well, these guys, they train hardcore every single day. I mean, they don't really take time off, okay? Uh, Yeah, like you might see a a month or two where they'll go a little lax and, you know, maybe they're out partying or whatever it is that they're doing and they take some time off. But for the most part, these guys are training hardcore every single day in order to be in tip-top shape so that they can compete at the highest level. 
Whether that's the food that they eat, they put in their bodies, okay? So make, they have strict diets a lot of times, except for the linemen, they can eat whatever they want, right? It is incredible the amount of food that those guys eat, all right? Uh, and then, but it's even intentional. Everything that they're doing is intentional, right? It's not like they're just doing whatever. And then their workouts that they do are very intentional and very difficult and very strenuous, but they're also very intentional. They work with the best trainers available. And then they're practicing uh, their skill, position, whatever it is that they have have as their position, they, they do specific drills and specific things to help them get better at that position. And they train hard. I heard that Tiger Woods, we're going all over the place today, basketball, football, might as well go to golf, right? Tiger Woods, he used to practice for 13 hours a day. I don't know if you guys knew that. I mean, there's a reason why Tiger Woods uh, is the greatest that we have seen in this era for sure. Uh, he used to practice for 13 hours a day and his former trainer, Hank Haney said, that Tiger had a competitive edge because he knew that no one could outwork him. No one could outwork him. So the first point I have for you today, uh, if you wanna learn how to win in life is that winners are disciplined. Winners are disciplined. If you're taking notes, write that down. And if you have anything else that you feel like God's speaking to you, write that down so you can come back to it later, whether in your phone or, or pen and paper, whatever you feel like is best for you. But winners are disciplined. In this passage in 1 Corinthians, Paul, he's talking to the Corinthian believers with something they actually understand very, very well. Every other year, they held what was called the Isthmian Games, okay? And it was the second most important like gaming and sporting event that they had in that time, right behind the Olympics, okay? So it is very, very important, these games. And the Corinthian people, if you go back in history, you would understand that they're very competitive, all right? They're just a competitive people. And so uh, they understood very well the analogy that Paul was making here, talking about running to win the prize, to, to the people that go into their training. It's very strict training for these games. And that's what he's talking about. He's using that relevant example so that they would understand. But what is he really saying in this passage? He's saying that these men that, that are in these games are so disciplined and they train so hard for an earthly prize that doesn't even really matter at the end of it all. So how much more should you and I be disciplined and train ourselves to receive the ultimate prize, amen? Which we know is a life eternal with Jesus, amen? That is the ultimate prize that you and I could ever receive. And these guys, they train so hard to receive this wreath is what they would give them. They give them this wreath and that's what they get. And then they get like bragging rights. You know what I mean? I'm sure that they had some, some money and some things that maybe was involved with that. But at the end of the day, all of that stuff passes away. And Paul is trying to get across to them using this example of something that's relevant to them saying, hey, you see these guys, we need to also be disciplined in our life with Jesus because a heavenly reward is always greater than an earthly one. He's not saying that some believers are going to win and that some are going to lose. He's not saying, okay, you and I are like going against one another and we're like fighting against each other to see who's going to win in our relationship with God and who's going to make it to heaven. That's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that, that you have to work hard to earn God's favor and, and to earn salvation. That's not what he's saying either. Paul is simply saying, if you want to win in life, just don't focus all the time on the temporary pleasures and the temporary gains that you might receive here but simply focus on becoming more like Jesus instead. And in him is where you can find the greatest fulfillment, the greatest joy, the greatest love, and the greatest peace that you could ever have in your life, greater than anything that you could earn on this earth. 
Getting into heaven and having a relationship with God is the best thing that you could have on this side of heaven, amen? So uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, a little bit later, he actually says this, which I think kind of even helps to clarify it a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. So he's saying like, hey, listen, there's, everything is permissible, like is what you say. That's what the Corinthians would have been saying to him at the time. That was something that, that he probably heard from them a lot because he was having issues with them. This was kind of a corrective letter to the Corinthians saying like, hey, we need to correct a few things. And so he had heard, that's why it's in quotes even, everything is permissible is what they were saying. But he's like, listen, yes, but not everything is gonna be beneficial to help you to, to win the prize of Jesus and to get to the end of your life and say, hey, you know what? Like, I feel like, I have won in my life and I've won in my relationship with God. Not everything is going to build you up and not everything's going to build somebody else up, okay? I love a good cheeseburger, y'all. I do. I mean, Whataburger, I talk about all the time. It's my favorite place to go, you know? Like, I'll go there every day if I could, if my wife wouldn't say for me to stop. But uh, so I would love, love, love to have a cheeseburger. But if I'm training for a triathlon, which I would never do, <laughs> Some of y'all out there is like, oh yeah, that's me. We have a guy, Jeff, who does like the, the crazy long, you know, he runs for like 30 miles and bikes for forever. I'm just like, man, you're just out of my league, bro. Uh, but if he's training for that, you think Jeff's gonna be going out and eating some cheeseburgers every day? No, he's not gonna be doing that. Why? Because it, it, it's not anything inherently wrong with the, eating a cheeseburger, right? It's not a bad thing to necessarily do that, but I'm not gonna be eating that when I am training for an athletic event. Why? Because it's not helping me reach my goals. It's not helping me to win. It's a temporary pleasure and there's nothing inherently wrong with it. But if it's not helping me win in that moment and the thing that I'm trying to get towards really in life, then I need to just make sure that I'm not overindulging. I need to make sure that I'm not having too many cheeseburgers, right? Or else I'm not gonna be able to perform at the top level that I'd like to. So what I wanna ask you is this, are there things in your life that while they might not be sin, they just aren't leading you closer to Jesus, Right? they aren't maybe leading others closer to Jesus. And that's actually one of the main points that Paul is trying to make in this passage is that, yes, you know what? You might feel okay with doing this one thing, but maybe somebody else doesn't. And that's where you get the whole passage about don't be a stumbling block to another believer. That's kind of in this as well. Is it leading you closer to Jesus or is it leading others closer to Jesus? And if it's not, maybe we need to evaluate that. If you were to do a life audit on yourself, would you say maybe there's some areas uh, that you're lacking in your walk with God? Maybe in Bible reading or in prayer or, or in, in your, uh, your attitude, whatever it might be, are there some areas where you can maybe make a little bit of a shift? And I understand, right, there's some things that aren't necessarily bad, like, you know, uh, a few months ago, the whole rage was the Mandalorian. Like everybody was watching the Mandalorian. That was like the greatest thing ever. Everyone's freaking out about it. And I'm like, everyone is binging the Mandalorian, all right? And I know all the, for the young people out there, if you're in high school, middle school or college, you know, you're scrolling TikTok all day long. You know what I'm saying? TikTok will mess you up, man. Like you get on TikTok and you just start scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Anybody that's under 25 has literally no idea what I'm talking about right now. So, uh, but if you get on that thing, you can just be scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Is there anything necessarily wrong with these things with watching TV? No, there's not anything necessarily wrong with it, but is it helping you become more like Jesus? Not necessarily. 
So maybe if we could do a life audit on ourselves and say, you know what, maybe I can take some of this time where I'm doing some of these things that are permissible, but that aren't necessarily beneficial, right? If I could take a little bit of my time and do a life audit on how I'm spending my time, maybe I'd be able to win more in my life. Maybe I could achieve my goals, whether that's in business, relationships with God, it's all the same. If you're doing things that are taking you away uh, from investing more time in your business and in your job, how many of you think that you're gonna be able to go up for the promotion? Probably not, right? Uh, if you're trying to start a business or if you're trying to repair a relationship, right? Prepare, uh, repair a marriage and all you're doing is scrolling on TikTok all day long and you're, you're at work all day, right? How many of you know that that marriage is not going to get uh, mended? It's not going to get repaired. Why? Because you're doing things that aren't necessarily bad, but it's not focused, right? And that's the thing. Winners are disciplined. Athletes are disciplined and they are focused on trying to win the goal and win the prize. And so if you have something in your life that you're trying to get better at, whether that's your relationship with God, whether that's anything else, you have to be disciplined in that thing. So no professional athlete has ever made it to the hall of fame. I think you'd agree with me on this, that no professional athlete has ever made it to the hall of fame with a lack of discipline right? You go back and you look at every single professional athlete that's ever been in there. And I guarantee you go back and look at stories from their coaches. You go back and look at stories from their teammates and every single one of them would probably say, yeah, he was the hardest working guy on the field, the hardest working person that was on the court at all times. That person worked hard. After we all left, that person was still there. And what I would submit to you today is that no Christian has ever grown into a uh, deeper relationship with Jesus without a lack of discipline. If you're not disciplined in your walk with God and your relationship with God, it is so, so hard to grow closer to him. I mean, it's, it's just basic at the core of it, right? If you don't spend time with God, how are you gonna get closer to him? And the same in a relationship. If I don't spend time with my wife, how am I supposed to get closer to her? It's just not going to happen. So we have to be disciplined. The first one is winners are disciplined. The problem is no one really likes to no one really likes to talk about discipline, right? If I'm being real, I notice I'm not getting a ton of amens today. You know, it's like, we're talking about discipline. Yes, that's what I want to talk about at church. Discipline normally has a negative connotation, right? Whether it's being punished for something that's discipline, but also even just self-discipline. It's a difficult topic. It's one that we don't necessarily love to talk about at church, you know, just in general, right? But discipline is a biblical concept and Paul talks about it so many times throughout scripture. Even if you wanna go read farther in 1 Corinthians 9, after the verses we just read, I'd encourage you to do that later today because he even talks more about just like beating his body into submission, right? So that he can serve Jesus better. So read those verses later. I'd encourage you to do that. The next one we're going to get into, Philippians 3, 12 through 14 says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. This is once again, Paul writing here, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Wow, what a powerful passage there. And I love reading this one uh, after talking about discipline a little bit because this one just makes you feel so much better about yourself, right? I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. What is he saying? 
He makes us feel so much better because he's saying, listen, I'm not perfect. I'm not saying that I have it all together, that I have it all figured out. But what I do know and what I do have figured out is that no matter what happens, I will always be pressing on to the goal of Christ Jesus, amen? Is there somebody in here that will press on towards Jesus no matter what the situation is in your life? Will we press on to receive the prize at the end of your life when you can stand before God and say, you know what, God? I really left everything I had out on the field. I left everything I had there and I served you and I honored you and I brought as many people as I could to heaven. That's what I wanna be able to say when I I stand in front of my creator. Is there anybody else in the house of God today that's going to press on? Amen? Come on now. Uh, winners press on. That's the second point, if you want to write that down. And the difference between a winner and loser in sports is not always determined by talent. It's not always determined by who's the best person in the room, who has the most talent. And in life, it's the same way. It's not always about who has the most talent in business, who has the most talent in whatever it might be. But I think... Now, the difference between a winner and loser in sports is not always determined by talent, but by who refuses to quit when they're down. Who refuses to say, you know what, I'm down right now, but I know that I'm not out. I'm going to get myself back up and I'm going to get back out on the field and I'm going to make something happen today. And so that's the attitude that I want us as Christians to have. And, and I think that we have some precedent for that here in Philippians 3. I want to tell you about the, the greatest comeback that has ever happened in NFL history. Some of you guys might know what it is, and it is simply called the comeback, all right? Does anybody know the comeback? It's in 1993. If I, if I wanna age some of you guys a little bit, uh, I was one years old when this happened, so come on. I love doing that every once in a while, just to, just to get at you guys. So anyway, uh, the greatest comeback in NFL history, the 1993 Buffalo Bills, which the Bills fans out there, I feel real bad for them right now. They overcame a 32-point deficit to beat the Houston Oilers. January 3rd, 1993, the two former AFC rivals met in a wild-card playoff matchup, which was then known as Rich Stadium, but now it's New Era Field in New York. The Bills were AFC champions for the two seasons leading up to the historic comeback and had finished second in the AFC East. The Oilers had finished in second in the AFC Central. Houston had beat Buffalo in the last game of the regular season, 27-3. to So they demolished them in the last game that they played. But this time was drastically different. So the Oilers had a 28-3 lead at halftime in the playoff game, thanks to Hall of Fame quarterback Warren Moon. Come on now. The Oilers extend, all the football guys said amen. <laughs> uh, the Oilers extended their lead to 35-3 in the opening of the second half. 35 to three, they're down 32 points. At this point, it's like, I mean, just put in your second, third string and just give up, right? That's what you would normally do. Let's move on. The Bills were playing without their future Hall of Fame quarterback, Jim Kelly, but Frank Reich was starting in his place and the team struggled at the start. However, the Bills went on a second half scoring tear that included four touchdown passes by Reich and a rushing score by Kenneth Davis. They took a 38-35 lead before the Oilers added a field goal late in the fourth to tie it up 38-38. So late in the fourth quarter, this, it's all, the game's almost over, they tie it up, they end up going into overtime and the Bills completed the epic comeback with a 32-yard field goal by Steve Christie in overtime to win the game. 
The 32-point comeback remains the largest comeback in NFL history, and the win is so well-known that it is just referred to now as the comeback. Isn't that a crazy story? 32 points being down. If you watch football, if you've ever seen football, you know that is a large, large number to try to come back, especially after getting down so quickly. And I do feel bad if there's any Bills fans that are here or watching online today. I know you guys are hurting right now. You guys missed out again. Uh, But here's the deal. Everybody loves a comeback, right? Everyone would love to have watched that game. And there's a reason why it has a nickname called the comeback, because it's incredible what happened in that game. But what's the first thing that that team had to do in order to make that comeback happen? What do you think the first thing is that they had to do? The first thing they did was they had to honestly evaluate where they were at, okay? Just honestly evaluate. All right, where are we at right now? We are down 32. We got some problems, okay? When you're going into halftime and you're already down, I think it was by uh, 28 points, and you're down going into halftime, you know that the locker room is probably looking a little grim, right? They're not real excited to be there in that moment. They are just having a terrible time. They're having a terrible game. People aren't working together. It's not connecting. It's just not happening. And they get into that locker room, and you know that something had to change, So the first thing they had to do is evaluate where they were at and then make the necessary changes in the game plan to succeed. And in your life, have you ever honestly evaluated where you're at? That's difficult. Like just take an honest evaluation of where you're at in your life right now. The problem is is when things aren't going well in our lives, uh, more often than not, we would rather play some games and make excuses and cover things up that don't look good, that we don't like. We like to pretend like everything is fine, ignore the obvious, and maybe even live in a little bit of a fantasy land, okay? I get it. It makes perfect sense. When things aren't going your way, it is difficult. It's hard to admit that your marriage is in trouble. It's hard to admit that your career is on the rocks, that your dreams are smashed. It's hard to admit when your children are struggling when you're broke, when you have a problem with alcohol, when you're filled with anger or if you have a critical spirit. I get it. It's hard to admit those things. But if you want to win in life and win in your relationship with God, you have to be able to take an honest look at yourself and see where we're lacking because that is the only way that we can grow. That is the only way that we can win. In basketball, uh, another eighth grade story for you guys. In basketball, I, I, I loved my eighth grade year. We had a ton of fun. We ended up winning the championship and then in the all-star game, I'll tell this story some other time, but in the all-star game, uh, my side of the all-star team ended up winning and uh, it was just an amazing year. But there were many times when I would do something wrong and even all throughout my high school career when I would play basketball. But my eighth grade coach, I absolutely loved him. His name was Coach Bell. When I do something wrong, I would get really down on myself. I don't know if you've ever been like this where you feel like in life you just get real down on yourself and, and, and you just are just in this deep state of like, I'm not getting out of this kind of a thing. You know, like I don't want to admit that there's anything wrong. I don't want to talk to anybody about it. Like I'm just down and out. I am not feeling it. I feel like I'm 32 points down right now. But my coach Bell would say something like this. The next shot is the only one that matters. The next shot is the only one that matters. Why would he say that? Well, the next one, the next shot is the only one that matters because all of the other ones are already in the past. 
It doesn't matter what you've done on the last shot. It doesn't matter if you've missed five, six, seven, or eight in a row. If you get back out on the court and pick your head up and shoot the next shot, that's the only one that matters at that moment because that is the only thing that you can control. That's what made Michael Jordan so impressive as a player, right? Michael Jordan, it rarely happened, okay? But it did happen at some points. If Michael Jordan went out onto the court and missed 10 shots in a row, it did not affect him at all, okay? Many players, if they miss 10 shots in a row, they're done. I mean, the game's over for them and they just get pulled out or, or they just stop shooting and they just pass it off. Michael Jordan would keep shooting, keep shooting until he found his shot, found his rhythm. If he missed the first 10 shots, he didn't let it affect his 11th shot. And this next shot is going in kind of mentality is why he was such an amazing offensive player because he always thought, my next shot is good. I know my next shot is good. Can I tell you today that your next shot is good in your life? Can I tell you today that even when you are down, even when you fail over and over and over and over again, the beauty of our lives as Christians, as Christ followers, is that our confidence does not come from ourselves, but our confidence comes in God's ability to win through you, right? It has nothing to do with your ability. It has everything to do with God's ability to win through you. God never loses. So if you just put the ball in his hands, right, give it to the guy who never misses and you're sure to win. We can all win and it's not by being perfect, okay? That's what Paul's saying here. He's like, I don't have it all together. I don't have everything figured out, but I'm going to press on. No matter what happens, I'm gonna press on. I'm gonna make sure that I have that mentality that my next shot is going in, that whatever happens next, if I can just get the ball in the hands of God, right? Me and him together is the majority over any single situation that's in my life. I guarantee if I give the ball to God, I, I can make sure that we win this game together. It's not about being perfect, but it's about simply allowing yourself to not be ruled by your past, your past won't be erased. It's not like it wasn't there. It's not like Michael Jordan, if he missed 10 shots in a row, that those weren't gonna be on the stat line, right? It's gonna be there. But you know what? His next 10 shots might've gone in. You know what I'm saying? And the beauty of a life as a Christian uh, is it's a little bit different than the earthly way that we record stats, all right? When we record stats for Michael Jordan, right? We see he missed 10 shots and then he made two and then, and then he missed again, right? The beauty of when you become a Christ follower is that even if you miss those 10 shots before and then you say yes to Jesus, those 10 shots are like they never even happened. It's like they never even happen. God just completely erases that, gives you a clean slate. And when you mess up, he gives you grace. He gives you forgiveness. As long as you come with a true repentant heart, man, God says, you know what? I don't even remember that stuff. You know what? Let's move on and let's get closer together. Let's have that relationship where we're uh, thriving together. Let's move on and win this thing together. So what I want you guys to do today is very simple. If I can have Sadie come up. It's very, very simple. Look forward to what God has for you next because I believe that it's better than you think it is. We've had a tough last year, you know, 2020, we've talked about it a ton. It was terrible, it was difficult, right? And, and we all faced a lot of adversity in one way or the other. But if we can make the decision to, to not look back at the last five, six, 10 shots that we've shot, to not look back at the, the hard times that we've had and, and, and look at those and say, you know what? The past is going to determine the future, 
Instead, why don't we let God determine the future, right? Let's just put it in his hands. Say, you know what? I'm not gonna let anything else affect me other than what my father said. We sang it this morning. I am who he says I am. Not what the world says that I am. Not what my past says that I am. I am who he says that I am. In 2 Timothy 4, 7, it says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I wanna be able to say that at the end of my life. How about you? I have fought the good fight. I have finished a race. I have kept the faith. I want to finish the story I, I started telling earlier about my, my quarterback, Chris, from eighth grade, got hit real hard. We just finished our game in Houston and we were banged up and we had a, a, a week off the next week, I believe. And then we came back for another game two weeks after the Houston game. And this team was way, way easier to play. They were not massive giants like the Houston guys were. And it was eight-man football, and so I was going out for a pass. Uh, it was a very fast-paced thing when you have only eight guys on the field. And I was a wide receiver, so I was running about 40 yards down the field, and Chris had the arm to get there. I knew he did, and so I did a 40-yard post route. I was actually kind of standing right near the end zone, a long way away from everybody else, and and he ended up getting sacked, got hit pretty hard, went down. And so I started doing what every wide receiver does, you know, like you're kind of upset that he didn't get you the ball. He got sacked, it stinks, you know. And so you start walking back and then uh, I started looking up and then I realized uh, Chris isn't getting up. Like what's going on? And so I start speeding up and I start walking faster and I realize everybody around him is standing, looking down and, and they all start crowding around him. The coaches start running out onto the field and they start moving everybody back and and finally, we all take a knee and I've never seen anything like this in my life, but Chris did not move at all. Like, I mean, normally when somebody goes down, they get knocked out. Maybe they, they're down for a second, down for maybe 30 seconds and then they start to move and start to get back up and they, they get their mind back. But Chris was out, knocked out cold. I'd never seen anything like it. So then the ambulance comes, picks him up and takes him to the hospital. And we had stopped for at least... 30 minutes at this point of the game, 30 to 45 minutes. And I think we finished the game. We were almost done with it. And we finished the game. We kind of decided the coaches, hey, we'll finish this out. And then we'll be, the team will go to the hospital afterwards. And so finished the game quickly. And we went to the hospital. I think maybe even that night, a few of us went. And the next day, the whole team came and got together. And we were sitting in the lobby waiting for Chris. We didn't really know what was going on, but we found out that his brain had been bleeding. And for the last two weeks, they believed that it, at least about two weeks it had been bleeding. And so they asked the family, was there any trauma that he suffered when the last two to three weeks? And they said, yeah, you know, he, he got hit pretty hard in Houston. And to add insult to injury, much later, we found out that that team had been in Houston, had been hiring their former players to come back that were now college football players to come back and play in high school against us. So I was an eighth grade kid and Chris was, I believe, in ninth grade or sophomore playing against college football players that were giving him a beating and caused his brain to suffer enough trauma to where now it was bleeding for those two weeks. And when he went down on that hit two weeks later, it just knocked him out and he was done. And so they took him back for emergency brain surgery. And as a team, we were all there together. I remember Steven was even on that team with me. And many of us were, were there together and we were praying for Chris, asking that God would heal him, asking that God would bring him 
back to his family, that he could live a long life. We didn't want him to, to leave this earth so soon. And when you go through something like that and you see a friend go through something like that, it really starts to make you think about life so much differently, right? I started to think about my life in a completely different way. Had I taken it for granted, even as a 15 year old kid, this is the kind of stuff I'm thinking. Was I living my life for God or am I just going through the motions? If it was me on that operating table and I was able to, to look over myself, would I have any regrets? And if I died, would I be able to say that I fought the good fight, that I had finished my race and that I had kept the faith? Would I be able to say that? And they ended up putting a plate in his skull and he ended up being okay. But what would your answers be to those questions, right? I think when you go through something like that, it starts to make you think about things a little bit differently. Do you feel like that you're winning in your life right now? Just putting it simply. In your walk with God right now? Do you feel like you're winning in your marriage? Do you feel like you're winning in your job and in your career? Do you feel like you're winning or do you feel like that you're down and out? Do you feel like you're losing in this season right now? Do you feel like you'd be able to say at the end of your life that you left everything you had out on the field and lived your life for God and lived your life for others? And the beauty of this life that God has given us is that we all have the chance to win, right? That's the best part about this life is that we're not going against each other. We're not going against the government. We're not going against one another. We're not going against people that don't believe the same things as us. We're not going against other Christians who might think differently than us on some things. We are all in this life together and every single person has the opportunity to win the prize of Jesus and to have eternal life with him. And the Bible says that I don't wish that anybody would perish, but that all would have eternal life. God wants everyone in this place to win today. So I wanna ask this quick question. Is there somebody in here today that just needs a win, right? Like you just need a win in your life. Maybe you've just been going through some hard times, right? Maybe it is in, in your marriage. Maybe it is in, with your kids. Maybe it's uh, at your job, your career, in a business that you've started or that, that is struggling right now. Or maybe it's in any area of your life with your walk with God, whatever it might be, maybe you just need a win today. And if that's you, uh, I would encourage you today, right now, to just give that thing over to the Lord. Put the ball in his hands because your confidence should not come from your own abilities to make things better, but in his ability to win the game through you. Stop putting it all on yourself. Stop putting the blame on yourself when things aren't going well. We're all inherently messed up. We're all inherently sinful people and that's why we all need a savior in Jesus to help us win in our lives. And if that's you today, in any area of your life, if you just say, hey, you know what, pastor? I just need a win in this area of my life. Whatever that is for you, if you need a win, would you raise your hand at me right now? I just wanna know who I'm praying for today. You need a win, you need a win, you need a win. Come on, you need a win, you need a win. Hey, I'm right there with you, I totally understand. I see you, man. You just need a win. I'm gonna pray with you right now. And as I'm praying with you, I would just ask that you give that thing over to the Lord today. And maybe there's somebody who needs to give 
their life to God today. Maybe you just need to completely give your life over to him and you have not done that at this point today and you need a big win, not a little win, but your life needs to be radically changed. Your life needs to be radically transformed by the power of Jesus. And if that's you and you say, you know what? I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize I need Jesus. Maybe you wanna rededicate your life to him or say yes to him for the first time. If that's you, would you raise your hand at me right now? I wanna see if there's anybody here today that wants to rededicate or give their life to Jesus. Awesome. What I'm thinking and I'm hoping and praying and believing that everybody in this room knows Jesus. And maybe there's just some people in here that need a win today in a certain area of your life. That's incredible. What I wanna do is I wanna pray for you right now. And let's all just gather together in this prayer and lift our hands up to the Lord and just give it to him today. Can you do that with me, Lord Jesus? God, you are just so much better than all of us. You're so much better than than any other thing that we could ask, think, or imagine. God, in every area of our lives, God, we give to you right now. And Lord, I pray for those people today that raise their hand or maybe in their hearts, even if they didn't raise their hand, but in their hearts, they know that they need a win. They know that they've messed up or they know that there's something in their life that they haven't given over to you yet. They know that they have a past, but they're letting it rule them. And God, they wanna just completely say, you know what? I'm not gonna let that affect me anymore. I'm going to count. I'm gonna just think about the next shot. And that's what we're doing right now. As we come to you today, God, we're just saying, you know what? This is us looking forward to the next shot. And God, would you take the ball out of our hands? Would you take it from me? Would you take it from them? And would you shoot your perfect shot every single time in our lives, God? And that even when we mess up, even when we have issues and struggles and times where we fail, God, I just ask that you would remind us that you are perfect and that you never fail, that you are a God of the impossible, Lord. And every single mistake in our past is a race, Lord. If we would just come to you right now, ask for forgiveness, have a repentant heart and trust and believe in you. So God, for each and every person out here that needs a win, I pray that you would just give that to them, Lord. Give them the desires of their heart as they come before you uh, in a state of just honor and of reverence to you, Lord Jesus. We thank you and we praise you, Lord. We're gonna press on to reach the prize. At the end of our lives, we'll be able to say that we fought the good fight, that we finished the race, and that we all kept the faith. Let that be our story in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you guys so much. Can we give it up for Jesus today? God is good. God is good. I believe that God has a win for each and every one of you this week. If you'll just put your trust in him, put your faith in him this week. Y'all make sure to come back for football Sunday next week. It's going to be exciting. Invite a friend. We have a Facebook event. Get on there, share that thing, invite a friend. And if you'd like to give once again, remember you can do that at the back. Growth tracks today, small groups. Make sure you get signed up. We love you guys. God bless you. We'll see you soon.